This is the Place for a Purpose podcast. We want to help you live out what Jesus said was the most important thing you could do with your life. Love God and love your neighbor, including your next door neighbors. So we're going to keep neighboring on your mind by encouraging you with practical ways to connect with those next door so you can live knowing you've been placed for a purpose because your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbor's. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Placed for a Purpose podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Elizabeth McKinney. And today we're going to talk about how we see our neighbors and how that impacts the way we do or don't love our neighbors. And we're going to discuss the way Jesus saw his neighbors. Jesus had neighbors. Yes, yes, he did, and we will. Is that biblical? <laughs> well, I hope so, because we're going to say it is, <laughs> and we'll get to that here in just a second. But even just thinking about this topic of seeing our neighbors, I'm taken back to the True False Film Festival. It's a documentary festival here in Colombia, and we were watching this incredible documentary on Fred Rogers called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Yeah, and we went with neighbors. So yeah. we were like really neighboring. We I think we peaked. Yeah, we peaked. Yeah. It's all downhill from there. It was there. all downhill from there. Right. So some context for this documentary, this film. So Fred Rogers was an American television host. He was an author, producer, a Presbyterian minister, which I didn't know. Which you are also a Presbyterian minister. So me and, so. Me and Mr. Rogers, right? I'm in good company. So he created the show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He was the showrunner for it. And it ran from 1968 to 2001. That was a crazy run. And I mean, we grew up watching this. I mean, he was iconic. Yeah. Mr. Rogers. I mean, I just picture him, the sweater, the red sweater and the shoes and how he kind of toss it to the other hand and the train that would go from his family room into the neighborhood of make-believe. And I mean, after we saw this documentary, I remember coming back and showing it to our daughters, Ginger, Pearl, June and Annie. And we were all mesmerized. I mean, they were used to Disney and all the things. And Mr. Rogers, it's a slower pace. It is. I mean, and also it's these were recorded years ago. Right. And they were captivated. Yeah. We all just sat there on the couch, just totally like he's a genius. drawn in. Yeah. And so there are just a ton of powerful really cool scenes from that documentary about his life. But one in particular really stood out to the both of us. And it's this interaction between him and this little boy named Jeff Erlanger. So why don't you paint the picture of that scene for us? Yes. So Jeff rolls up in his wheelchair and Mr. Rogers is standing there. His body language is that he's squatted down on the step of the outside porch. And so he's just at eye level with him. And he stays in that position really for the entirety of the chat. But he doesn't look uncomfortable at all. He looks like he is, I mean, he's got all day. And even though it's only a five-minute interaction, it feels like an eternity, but in a good way. He just has this unhurried posture that says he's got all the time in the world. And And that was another concept that stood out, just as a side note, for me about the film was just Mr. Rogers' concept of time and the way that it stood still. I mean, one of the producers reflected back on an episode where Mr. Rogers was talking about the concept of time or the concept of a minute. And so he pulled out an egg timer and was (laughs) like, "Okay, kids, we're going to see how long a minute is. 
And then he just sat there in silence. Oh, my gosh. It makes me uncomfortable just thinking about it. But it shouldn't, though. I know, but we're not used to giving and being in that kind of time and space with people. We're busy thinking about the next thing. And if someone's talking, we're ready to jump in. We're waiting for their lips to stop moving so they can we can jump in right. and say something. But he he wasn't like that. He had all the time in the world to see you and be with you and interact with you. Yeah. And so he hangs on his every word. And you can just picture Jeff Erlinger. I think he's like nine or 10 years old. And he's sitting there sharing about his spinal tumor that he had as a baby. And then the surgery that left him paralyzed. And he's talking about his doctors and then other surgeries. And Mr. Rogers is standing there listening and asking questions, not shying away from the hard things. And then at the end, they join together in this moment, kind of a a magical moment. And they sing the song, It's You I Like. Yeah. Let me just read the lyrics to this song, okay? It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your toys, they're just beside you, but it's you I like, every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you, it's you I like. Yeah, I mean, I remember coming home and saying that to the kids. Like, I was like, I love you and I like you. (laughs) And then it was powerful. They're like, I like you too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something really powerful about being seen and noticed and accepted just as we are and not just accepted, but liked. And it touches us deep inside. And I think you could even make a case that this is a picture of the gospel, right? How so? I mean, I think it's almost hard for us to believe. Like there's a part of us that longs to be seen and accepted and liked in that way. And then there's a part of us that says, yeah, but that's just too good to be true. That doesn't exist. But it does. It exists in Jesus. Jesus sees us that way. He accepts us that way. He likes us. He likes us in that way. Or is it just, I love you, but I don't like you? No, he likes us, the good and the bad. He loves us. He isn't judging us. He isn't nitpicking our faults. He isn't overly impressed with us. And he sees us. We're not invisible to him. He doesn't look past us towards what's coming next. He sees us. He's there with us in that moment. And I think the more that we understand this, not just with our heads, right, but with our hearts and embrace that this is the way that Jesus sees us, the more we're going to be able to see and love our neighbors in this way. Yeah, because the way Mr. Rogers saw him impacted all of their interactions. It impacted the way he showed up. So I want to go back to something you said, that Jesus had neighbors. Jesus had neighbors. You know, it shouldn't be funny to us or be weird (laughs) to say that, but it kind of feels that way because I think we struggle to see Jesus as a real person. I think we see him as some disembodied person or maybe a vagabond who didn't have kind of a real life in some really real and ordinary ways. So I'm going to push back. Okay. I'm going to do a pushback. Of course you are. I'm going to share a verse that I think might contradict what you're saying. All right, what you got? So in Matthew 8, and I remember hearing this verse growing up, it says, and Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. 
So I grew up confused by that because it kind of begs the question, like, does he mean this literally? Like, he didn't sleep or was Jesus homeless? Like, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he's either not laying his head or he has nowhere to sleep. What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's saying that literally. I think you can make a case, a very good case, that he's using hyperbole here. What he's saying is that it's going to be costly to follow him. And it's kind of like the Sermon on the Mount and parts of it where he says, you know, pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin. Cut off your hand. It's like, we're Jesus, not we're eyes. not supposed to do that. We're but not. It's, he's using this language that says, hey, sin is serious. So do everything you can to keep yourself from it. And that's what he's doing here. So yeah, I'm sure Jesus slept on the side of the road at times. He traveled a lot, but he had a home because even in that next chapter, in chapter 9 of Matthew. of Matthew there, it says that he left Nazareth and he came and lived in Capernaum by the sea. And Mark says that he came to his own city and that when he did that, he was at home. Mm. Okay, so he's not saying Jesus had nowhere to lay his head literally, but small town Jesus who grew up in Nazareth when he became an adult, although he was traveling around doing ministry, he was kind of based in Capernaum. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And he was living and sleeping in a home in Capernaum. And I think it's important for us to grasp this because it gives his teachings a real-life context. Mm -hmm. We need to imagine where Jesus slept and woke up during these stays because, again, Jesus wasn't some caricature without a body, right? He was an actual person tied to a local place, and he would come back at night and bump into people, his neighbors, and then wake up and do the same thing. He shared an actual wall with actual people, actual neighbors. Yeah, wow. So do we know what this home was like or where it was or what it was? Yeah, good question. We don't know exactly where Jesus lived when he was in Capernaum, but church tradition tells us that most likely he lived with Peter, and they were in a home that were called insulas, They were similar to modern-day apartment complexes. They didn't go up, but they kind of spread out across the ground. And there were multiple families who would share walls, and they would surround a little courtyard. So I'm picturing being Jesus's neighbor. I bet he was a really good neighbor. (laughs) I bet he'd give Mr. Rogers a run for his money. Yeah. No, I think he did. (laughs) But to answer your question, yes, Jesus had real neighbors, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew. These were five of the 12 who would become his disciples, and they were all from Capernaum, right? So I think it's important for us to use our sanctified imagination, so to speak, when we read passages like Matthew 9, which we're going to do. We're going to take a walk through the streets of Capernaum here. Mm-hmm. It was a town of about 1,500 people, so small town. Yeah. And we need to imagine that when he stopped and talked to people and, and when he healed them, these were probably faces he recognized and maybe even some of the people who lived right around him. So then, okay, I'm imagining Jesus having the neighbors whose dog would bark all night. For sure. And keep him awake. And the neighbors who played their music too loud, their ukuleles or their harps or <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure what they were playing. <laughs> Ancient Flutes? Near Eastern musical <laughs> artifacts am, for 500, I, <laughs> please. <laughs> so, you know, just all kinds of neighbors. The yes. neighbor who would never make eye contact and never wave back. So it's like thinking of Jesus like a real person gives a totally different 
backdrop and kind of context to his teachings about loving your neighbors. He was doing this, right? He wasn't just teaching about this. He was loving his neighbors. We actually do have a window into these interactions, specifically with neighbors in Capernaum in Matthew 9. So he's walking through the city and he's going into homes and he's neighboring. Yeah. And I mean, I was thinking back to The Chosen, which we've been rewatching this summer with our kids. And I think it's the second episode probably of season one. I'm not totally sure. But and I, I think it's primarily based in Matthew 9, because I remember watching it and seeing Jesus differently. Like this was these were his neighbors, seeing Matthew, seeing the different people like, wow, this is what it may be look like. Yeah. It's interesting that you're saying, you know, the chosen is helping you see Jesus in this new way, because that is a, a big focus of Matthew 9. Matthew uses that word to see eight times in this chapter, and he's highlighting the way people see Jesus and the way Jesus sees them. And so one of these neighbors is Matthew, right? Yeah, it says in verse 9, Matthew's writing this because he wrote the book of Matthew. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Yeah. And so for context, right? So Matthew is a Jew who is collecting taxes for the Roman government, who is occupying the nation of Israel at this time. And it would be widely known that he not only was collecting taxes for Rome, but he was probably taking some extra for himself, cheating his own people potentially. So this is the guy who's on the wrong side of politics. He's the neighbor who's got the other candidate's yard sign in his lawn. And when you think about your neighbors, you don't pick your neighbors, kind of like your family. You don't pick your family. You don't pick your neighbors. And he's kind of that neighbor who you kind of find yourself frustrated, like that you can't choose your neighbors because if you could, you never would have chosen this guy, Matthew. And if we had a term for it, it'd be, and we talked about this last episode, but a non-neighbor really, which we don't consciously probably always, maybe sometimes we do, but sometimes it's more of a subconscious thing that we have these non-neighbors who, in a sense, we find ourselves judging or avoiding or maybe we're suspicious of them. So pause. What do you do when you run into your non-neighbor? Chris McKinney, I'm asking you, be honest. Oh, if I'm honest, probably just pull out my phone, <laughs> check, check That's not Twitter. good, sweetie. I know. I know. It's not good. But I'm not as bad as our friend Anthony, though, oh, with his non-neighbors. Rude. You're going to put me on the spot. I'm going to throw Anthony under the bus. No. So he, this is a great story. I got to tell this real quick. So he had a non-neighbor whose dog was barking way later than it should have been. And so he changed the name of their home Wi-Fi to no dogs barking outside past 9 p.m. in hopes that his neighbor would see that when it pop up on their computer when they connected to the Wi-Fi. And he said it stopped. So it kind of makes me wonder (laughs) if anyone's been trying to send us cryptic messages through renaming their (laughs) Wi-Fi. Please keep bikes and everything (laughs) off our driveway past 9 p.m. Please pull your weeds. Yeah, so we're going to need to go home and and check on that and report back, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've all had neighbors like that, and we've been those neighbors. We've kind of been those neighbors, honestly. Like, I mean, in our cul-de-sac, especially in the summers, we kind of are the non—well, we're not the non-neighbors our kids are. But I think that makes us non-neighbors by by default. But they leave their bikes and their socks everywhere, and it looks like our house threw up on 
our driveway and their driveways. Yes, yes. That's bad. But no, we're lucky to have good neighbors. Yeah. So, okay. So bringing it back. So what did Jesus do? If I pull out my phone, (laughs) what does Jesus do when he sees his potential non-neighbor, Matthew? He invites himself over for dinner. I love that. That's a little better than pulling out your phone, right? That's changing a, your Wi-Fi name. Yeah, changing your Wi-Fi name. That's a great neighboring strategy, we by the way. We start doing that. We invite ourselves over t- to dinner. We're coming over with our four kids, dinner <laughs> at your house. That's right. Oh, that's great. But seriously, that is a good neighboring strategy. And something happened at the dinner that night, we know, because later as he reflected on it, this guy on the wrong side of all the issues, Matthew sat down and wrote out the words, Jesus saw a man named Matthew about himself. Yeah, That'd be like if I had written the gospel according to Elizabeth and then wrote down, Jesus saw a woman named Elizabeth. Like, what would those words have meant to me? We know what they meant because the very next verse tells us he starts to follow Jesus. His life has changed so much so that now he ends up writing the book of Matthew that we have in our hands. So Jesus had seen the real Matthew, the good, the bad, and now he had seen the real Jesus. So here we have Matthew, the non-neighbor, someone who we'd be tempted to judge. And again, we're not trying to categorize our neighbors so that they label them them and be like, they're our non-neighbor. We need to be honest that if we have these non-neighbors, if we see them in this way, we want to be able to see them differently. And we're going to get to that. But as we continue on in Matthew 9, we see Jesus interact with a man named Jairus, and he was a leader from the local synagogue. And he would have been someone, because of his position of influence, he might have been that neighbor that we'd be tempted to think had it all together on the outside. But he didn't. No, because we read that his daughter had just died, and he's coming to Jesus, begging him to come to his house and heal her. And I think we sometimes have these neighbors as well. We see the position, the stature. We could even call it the Instagram version, the got it all together version of our neighbors. Maybe it's the new car. It's stuff that's visible. Home renovations. Home renovations, all of the things. But we don't see is what's behind the scenes, what's behind the front door. And what's there is pain and anxiety and isolation and fear and depression. And we know that because that's behind our front doors as well. We're we're just like our neighbors in those ways. In this case, it's a father whose life is falling apart because his daughter is now gone. So instead of leaving him alone and assuming that he'd be fine, Jesus saw past what was on the outside and saw what was on the inside. So Jairus saw Jesus. And I want to do that for people. I want to see them in such a way that they see Jesus. Yeah. So we've seen Matthew, the non-neighbor, Jairus, the Instagram neighbor. Got it all together, Got neighbor. it all together, neighbor, tempted to be overly impressed by. And we see another neighbor here in Matthew 9. And it's a woman who has been sick and bleeding for 12 years. And it says that she got to Jesus, next to Jesus in a crowd and touched him and was healed because of that. And it says that Jesus literally stopped So you think this whole crowd, right? Jesus stops, the crowd stops with him. And it it says that he turned around and he saw her. And now this is a woman who no doubt was totally isolated and ignored and for all intents and purposes invisible, right? We've talked about the the non-neighbor and the Instagram neighbor. Well, she would have been the invisible neighbor to people around her. 
And this one hits home because we have these neighbors, too. And then we have the others as well. But I think a lot of us can relate to the neighbors who are kind of faceless, nameless, anonymous. And we just stay on our phones and stay distracted. And I mean, they just stay as these invisible neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm guilty of that, too. I'm guilty of staying on my phone and staying busy and not seeing the neighbors who are around me. And so what's helped me, right, in seeing my neighbors is going back to the Mr. Rogers example, is remembering what it feels like to be seen by others in my life, people who have done that for me. People, when you're around them, you feel like time stands still, like they've got all day for you. And when I have felt seen like that, it compels me to not ignore my neighbors, to not judge and to look past them, but to see them. And Jesus saw his invisible neighbors and she saw him. So it really does change things to think more about these interactions that Jesus was having with his neighbors as these were real people that felt seen and their lives began to change, right? As he's in their homes, he's at their dinner tables, he's in their apartment complexes, so to speak. And so when he calls us to love our neighbors, he had done this with his own non-neighbor or Instagram, quote-unquote, neighbor, invisible neighbors. Yeah. So he saw all these specific neighbors. And at the end of Matthew 9, broadly speaking, it says he saw the crowds. And it specifically, it reads, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, okay, let's pause again. Let's not rush past the fact that most of us, when we see a crowd, do not respond with compassion. (laughs) I mean, I'm a Disney person and I hate crowds. That's true. (laughs) But I mean, when we see crowds, what do we feel? We get overwhelmed. We feel like we're endangered. I actually have felt that at Disney before. I actually (laughs) have been in danger. We can feel repulsed. But he didn't see a mob or just a bunch of faceless nobodies or people to get away from. He was seeing neighbors made in the image of God, and it says that he had compassion. That is not a feeling that I associate with crowds, compassion. Yeah, and I think it's because he saw them in a correct way. And Francis Schaeffer has a term for this. He he calls us glorious ruins. And I think Jesus saw the crowd, saw his neighbors in this way. And so if you think about this for a second, if Jesus had only seen glory when seeing his neighbors, he wouldn't have seen their need for compassion and healing if he would have just been overly impressed by the neighbors and being like, okay, yeah, they're good. They don't need my help. Or on the flip side, if he'd only seen ruin, like with Matthew, maybe he wouldn't have bothered stopping and helping him and in his case, calling him or healing others. But he saw more. He saw us as we truly are. He saw image bearers worthy of love, but also people with great need. So to put it simply, when we only see the glory in our neighbors, the glory of the image of God, Mm -hmm. then we envy them. And when we only see ruin, whether perceived ruin or actual ruin, we judge them. And when we don't see them at all, we ignore them. So our neighbors are image bearers who have both glory and ruin, but the glory can motivate our respect and that ruin can motivate our compassion. Yeah, it's good. So getting practical, how can we apply this? What's one thing that we could do differently this week? What do you think? Um, you need to put your phone away. <laughs> okay. No, I that need to put true. my phone that away. That is true. Our kids. I, yes. What else? Kid, 
So for starters, I think we need to ask ourselves if there's a non-neighbor that we've tried to avoid, or maybe we need to build some common ground with the neighbors around us. Or maybe there's someone who we've kind of been overly impressed by, and we think they're just fine when actually behind their front door, they're going through stuff, just like we're going through stuff. Or think through the invisible neighbor. Who are people that have been living next door to us all this time and we don't even see them? Yeah. Like what's one small step we could take, even if it's just to pray for them? Yeah. Pray that God would open our eyes so that we could see our neighbors and see them better and in a more correct way. And who knows, maybe one day some of those neighbors will stand back and say through those interactions, hey, Jesus saw me. And because of that, I now see Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode or let us know other topics related to neighboring you want to talk about. Or follow the link in the show notes to share a neighboring story with us. Tell us what you're trusting God for in your neighborhood and how you're seeing God at work. You can also follow Placed for a Purpose on Instagram. And you can help others find us by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this episode with a friend. (music) 